Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz percussionist Steve Kroon. He opened up with Neon Jazz about his latest 2018 CD, In Your Dreams, and so much more. He's been a professional musician for the last 50 years. He was born in Harlem and lived there until nine. In 57, he moved to Queens, and he has appeared on seven platinum albums, 15 world tours, and two live video performances. And he's even been on The Tonight Show with David Letterman and Jay Leno as well as the Grammys. He's learned to jam with the likes of Ron Carter, Diana Krall, Stanley Turrentine, and Bette Midler, and so many others. He's got great stories, so please get to know him. Steve, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks for finding me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I do. I love it. So let me go ahead and dive right in here and talk to me about your latest CD and your dreams, probably from just the conception of this idea to the reality of it now. How do you feel about it? Oh, man, um, this is actually my sixth CD, and I've had the group together now. We've been a live, also performing band for almost 15 years. So uh, as the group keeps evolving and developing and all, you know, you keep looking for different things and all. But how this one came, as I was putting the music together for the CD, a lot of songs sometimes come to me uh, in the middle of the night. You know, like around 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning when you wake up, and uh, you're, in, you're in this beautiful space where it's kind of nice and quiet and peaceful. and It's just a nice time, you know what I mean? There's no sound and all. And that's when this melody came to me for this song. And when that song came, I said, that tune came, I said, y- y- In Your Dreams. And I said, that's going to be the title of the CD. And I like the title, In Your Dreams, because at this stage of the game and where I am in my life, I'm still living my dream. You know, that's beautiful. So, you know, that's it. It's all kind of poetic. You know, when I make CDs, I still have in mind the music and all to be a concept and to mean something. They have us now. When you do a CD, everybody wants to take a piece and separate it. You know, they they want to buy the eyes or the nose or the ears or the mouth, but it's not that. It's a picture. It's it's it's, it's a composition. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, yeah, and I think the way they have it structured and what they're doing is they're taking away really the creativity and, and the power of the artist. You know, it's interesting you say that because we have this reversion. I don't see it as a reversion. I see it as an evolution back to vinyl. And that's the way vinyl was. It was an experience from the artwork to the entirety of it. You Absolutely. Up, you oh, know. man. You would, you know, well, the, the way the whole industry has changed. Before, you know, you... You you, uh, you go to work, and then on Monday you turn on the radio station, and you hear the, the the record, and you say, "Oh, I love this record! I can't wait till Friday I get paid." I go to I go to Tower or you know, one of these great big you know stores, and I go and I buy the record, but you end up buying four or five, you know? Yeah. And and you pick it up, and you turn it around, and you see pictures, and you hear, you read about this thing, and this guy's on, and. It, Wow, and the cover was important. Remember yeah. the CTI, the CTI covers and all that. You know, oh, man. The, co- the the covers were a work of art, man. So it, it was just a, a beautiful expression, man. You know, beautiful thing, you know. And uh, you look home to just you know taking that record home and playing it four or five times in a row, you know. Yes. Yep. I remember absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. You've been at this game for a long time in music. You started in Harlem, and at nine you moved to Queens. Talk to me about 
I mean, those are cultural hubs around the world for everything, art, from poetry to music. Talk to me about growing oh, up in those environments. Absolutely, and uh, I was so glad, so fortunate, because it's the time periods that I lived where I did, too, you know? Well, Harlem was always, even as a child, it was always so unique. And when I was in Harlem, as a child, we lived in the projects. And uh, that time, back at that time, the projects... It was, wow, it was so, everybody knew each other, the families, you know what I mean? It was real community-wise, and we were in Spanish Harlem. We were in Johnson Projects, which was 112th and 2nd Avenue. See, my family was first generation from Puerto Rico. And um, during that, that same area, man, you had Joe Cubas, you know, was from there, and uh, Tito Puente, and and uh, Steve Berrios and uh, Willie Bobo and uh, I mean you can name the cats, man. They, you know, right in that area, Felipe Luciano. And you, you had that 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 energy and that vibe, man. And the music, man. You know, during that time wasn't the TV time; it was the radio time. So you you walking around and all you hear is the mu- music coming out of the windows. You know, you'd hear Tito Puente, you'd hear Cotijo, you'd hear Machito. Machito was in that area too. He lived he lived in Spanish Harlem too. You hear, you know, all this music coming out of people's houses and all that, you know. The energy was just incredible. Then when we moved to Queens, we had a kind of a reversal. Because now I move into St. Almonds, and St. Almonds was, at that time, mostly um, uh, Afro-American location where a lot of the the great jazz artists were all moving there because they had these these nice homes, you know. And instead of uh, projects, people were buying houses. And where I lived, uh, um, St. Albans, man, uh, in my neighborhood alone, uh, on my block, there was this producer by the name of Henry Glover, which uh, he was like a Quincy Jones at the time. He produced um, so many different artists, man. Dinah Washington, um, the Cliftones, he did it all, R&B. He, he, just, he wrote Drown in My Own Tears. He, he wrote you, you Give Me Fever. He was like an uncle to me, so I would see all these things, all these musicians coming to his house. He also produced Honky Tonk. Then around the corner lived Eddie Lock Joe Davis. And uh, <laughs> we knew him well. You know, The thing that was so amazing at this time, uh, being a kid there, we used to cut their grass and wash their cars. So we got to know these artists. You know, It wasn't like they were removed. They were part of the neighborhood. Leslie Young, Prez, was four blocks away. I went to school with his son. Uh, Count Basie was like another uh, eight blocks away. Around the corner, too, was uh, Arthur Pricelock. Bubba Johnson, he wrote Since I Fell For You. Uh, Brooke Benton. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And uh, it was just so rich with that. So then I had uh, also the mixture with jazz and uh, development, you know, getting this great uh, influences from all the different jazz artists, you know. And there, the same thing, too, with walking through the streets and hearing all this music. There you would walk, in one block you'd hear Ray Charles, and the next block you'd hear, you know, uh, uh, Lockjaw playing something. you hear Count Basie, you hear Duke, Duke Ellington. Uh, uh, then you hear some uh, Masakila, you hear Drums of Passion, you hear uh, Eddie Palmieri, Asuka Pate. The mixture was just incredible, man. Music at that time was so explosive for him. I don't know what generation from was you around that, that era, or uh... I, I was born in '72, so 
I was kind of baptized in jazz later, but I was an '80s kid. So okay, but the '80s the '80s was amazing too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. the '80s was another kind of freedom. But I'm talking about the '60s, and you know, the the, the '60s and the '70s. It, it was <laughs> that was something else, man. Beautiful well, music, man. You know, and I'd be speckled by those those time periods because that's when real real change was happening. We talk about you know, momentous events that happened, not only artistically, but politically. The 60s Absolutely. the last great time where this country said, you know what, this is what we want our future to be. This is what we want our children to see. Absolutely. I, always, I hold a high level of reverence for the 60s in this country because there was a level of, of, of push that is, right. was refreshing. So, right. And, and then we listened to everybody's music. I remember, boy, I loved uh, Carol King, man. You know, uh, all the stuff that she did with, you know, different groups to do, even the, the R&B groups, man, and, you know, uh, the, the songs that they were singing, man, the temptations, you know, the lyrics, you know? Oh, man. Yeah. The, the concepts, I mean, it was about, you know, thought and movement. You had Bob Dylan, you had Curtis Mayfield, you had, you know, Stevie, you, you know. I mean, it was just so much information out there, oh, you yeah. know, and, and it was all inspirational and uplifting, you know? Yeah. Yep, without uh, a doubt, but, you know, it was it was just incredible. And then the eighties, forget it, man. Weather Report and you know, Return to Forever and Santana and you know, War I mean just the different types of groups and they all were on the same level. They were all putting out excellent Chicago powerful music that meant something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the jazz, man, forget about it, man. You know, Diz <laughs> and Train and Miles and you know, everybody was like on the on then can't believe I got like Sly Stone, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, okay. the music was just totally uh, art form, you know? And yeah. uh, uh, I still believe I still have dreams, man. <laughs> I still try to, to do the best I can. That's know? all you can do, man. That's all you can and do. And I think there is, I, and I do say, I will say this, too, because uh, there are some great, incredible new young artists out here, too. Yeah. The, the generation, you can't say that, it, that there's no, there, there's a lot of these. Uh, to me, it's, it's either one or the other. Either you don't like what they're doing or they, they're brilliant, you know? So, well, um, there, there's you no. know, that's what we do on the show. You know, it's interesting to mm -hmm. take, you know, the era of the 40s and the 50s and contrast that with what's going on today. The level of mm -hmm. play, the soul, the heart, it's all there. It's all, it's all progressing, and it's great to hear how we've come along with jazz for sure. Absolutely. Um, without a doubt. So it, the, it, it seems to me, based on where you grew up and the cats that were around you and kind of the DNA that you were swimming in, it was almost a foregone conclusion that you were going to become a professional musician. Is that accurate? Oh, oh, absolutely. Because uh, um, I've been passionate about music since a child. Me and my brother. My brother really was the one, my older brother, his name was Bobby. Um, he made his transition, but he was a great influence on me. I, I just... When I was a kid, I wanted to do anything just to be around him. You know what I mean? You know, you have the older brother, they always... But he was amazed that even when, like, 10 or 11 years old, he always said, man, you know, Steve, you got talent, man. You got, you know, great feel and ideas and all. And he was, uh, he was a great mentor to me. And we, we had, we started all our groups together. You know, we had doo-wop group, we had the Latin, Latin jazz group, we had the, you know, R&B group, we had everything together, you know? And I, I played back. See, the beautiful thing about the 60s was you had all those bar gigs. 
the bars would jump in. You know, in New York, man, all all, all the boroughs, it, it was the bar scene. It wasn't like dance clubs and stuff like that. You had the bars that were really happening. And you played um, four nights, like Thursday to Sunday, and like four sets, man, you know. And every weekend it was a place to play. And that's where you really got to really develop and, and uh, jam and, you know, you... A lot of musicians will tell you they got a lot of their chops from those clubs. You know what I mean? Because you got to really play, you know? And they don't have places like that to play anymore. They really work your talent out and work your stuff out, you know? Yeah. Uh, either it's just going to school and, you know, doing this and getting... There's only two forms of it. But there's a, the other education of uh, on-the-job training is a whole other a whole other way to learn, man, and develop, you know? Yeah. Um, especially when you're playing in front of with people, man, involved because it's that back and forth thing, you know. That spirit yeah. of uh, really getting the audience to really move and want to dance, and you know. So though, it was a great time. But yeah, absolutely. I knew from a very early age that uh, this is what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah. And and I was very fortunate that when I did hit a certain age. Uh, started working like more steady like with Luther Luther Vandas I worked with him when I was 30 and that was really big for me because then I had all of a sudden uh, working with a, a, a real artist a real star and um, doing you know big time arenas and festivals and making platinum albums and you know getting your name out there I worked with a lot of other different artists because of that you know with the Aretha and recording you know uh, the Temps and Kenny G and Bette Midler and I mean gang of folks you know and uh, then I had the good fortune at the same time to start working for um, Ron Carter I was with Ron Carter 20 years too and with him it was amazing because I would leave I would go from playing big festivals and uh, uh, arenas with, with Luther and I'd do uh, go on tour with Ron and do all the the major jazz places, the jazz venues, like the festivals in, in Europe and Italy and Brazil and Japan and, you know, and, um, wow, I was, I was very fortunate because I got to hear and play a lot of music. You know, you, and I think because of all of that, and, and still in my heart, I always, Latin jazz was always, you know, I guess it, it was my, my, my family thing because my, my father, Always, he had a great record collection, man. My father was, man, he was, when we, as kids, and we had all, he, when he knew we liked the music too, he would come home every week with four and five, uh, records from LPs. And I had uh, collections. Amazing. Matter of fact, I inherited all his 78s. And I got 78s of, uh, the Disney Channel and, oh man, the Say I got all the old good stuff, man, you know. And, uh, that, that was always kind of embedded deep in my heart. And I still, that's what I really like to play. I love what I'm playing. I like now that I've worked with other people. What I really love right now at this point is doing me. You know, the one thing you mentioned is, you know, you've played with a lot of heavy hitters. Luther Vandross, and, I mean, you've been on Leno, you've been on Letterman, you've been all around, and even Ron Carter had to be a whole level of jazz education. And help. Oh, well, who I met with Ron. I, I mean, the stuff I did with Ron, man, with, you know, I've worked with with him uh, I met so many great musicians with him Stanley Tarantino and uh, uh, Hubert Laws and I mean, I mean 
it's, it's been amazing. I, you know, Diana Krall. I've, I've worked with all these people, man, because of the fact that I came through that band. I guess guilty from through association, you know. What do you learn from them? By osmosis, you're going to get something, but there's going to be direct things that are going to help you grow, not only as a musician but as a person. What did you get from them? Oh man, that's a very good question, and it, and uh, since I've been with both of them, those I'll name those two outstanding figures, Luther and Ron, because those were the uh, ones I really toured, and when that was the height, and I did learn. I learned from both of them. You know, the amazing thing about Luther and Ron Carter, uh, they're both Tauruses. <laughs> Which I find to be amazing to, to have so much, you know, I'm, I'm a Capricorn, and I just fit in so good with them, you know. But anyway, from both of them, even though it was two different types of music and two different types of heads, because it's, it's, a, it's a difference between the jazz and uh, uh, R&B pop, Kind of type of head, you know. But I, what I learned from both of them was excellence, professionalism. They both demanded uh, uh, just the same thing. They demanded, you know, that for you to be um, on time, to always be one hundred percent willing to give what you got. You know what I mean? And uh, and from them, I learned how to really, you know, re- to be ready, to be alert. You know, to to dress properly. I remember Ron always told me that you should always look better than the audience. I love that. I thought that was a very smart thing, you know. And uh, all those real, you know, important things, man, like how to dress, how to, what kind of show, how you present yourself to people, how, uh, you know, you should be at the end of the night, man, because you don't want to be talking in front of people and be, um, you know, all crazed and all, you know, intoxicated. You know, you have to present yourself in a proper manner, you know, because they're taking notes, you know. Yeah. And um, they all, with my band, I became a, I consider myself a, a very good leader because of all the stuff I took away from them, you know. Yeah. I, I, I worked great venues. I know what to ask for. I know how to treat the guys. I know what I didn't like from them either, because there were some things that I didn't like, and I try not to do it with my group, you know. So I, I learned. Wow, I can. I take my hat off to both of those guys because because of them, you know. I'm I'm the musician and leader I am now. You've been at this for five decades plus, and for a lot of that time, you've collaborated with folks. For the past fifteen years, you've been doing solo things. How does it feel? Does it feel good that you're investing this into your name and who you are? That's my point now, you know, because, you know, at this point in my life, like I said, I did 20 years with Luther, 20 years with Ron, and I did all that stuff, which was great, you know, and, uh, you know, extensive traveling with this one and that one and that one. What I'm enjoying now, like I have six CDs on on my own, my own name. And it's my my own sound, you know. I mean, uh, here's some another thing that I asked Ron when I first joined the group. I said to him, Ron, um, why do you want to be a leader? And he said, because I get to pick the songs. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and that's that's what I get out of this. I I I, I pick the tunes. I, I pick the ranges that I want. I pick the. I'm getting so much out of it, man, because I feel that. After all said and done, I'm left. I'm leaving some of me. You know what I mean? I'm leaving some of me. And uh, uh, what more can you want as being an artist? 
you know, uh, if you could survive, I was lucky enough to survive all the real rough years because I had a good paying job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and with that, I was able to support myself to be an artist. You know, so I get, now I'm at the point now where, you know, I, I, I was, I didn't, I was pretty smart. I made some good investments and did some good things. So, uh, let me try to do me. Yeah, you know, uh, what better way to kind of, kind of, um, you know, finish the last chapters and all, you know? Right on. So, let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? Wow. The thing about jazz is why, why everybody loves jazz. Um, jazz, especially, if you go all over the world, travel anywhere, um, Latin Brazil, you go to um, Afro-Cuban, you go to Africa, you go anywhere, people love jazz because of what the jazz musicians created, you know, between the, um, uh, their melodies and, and, and the changes and the chord changes and the progressions and, uh, you know, just the expression and, and the free expression and uh, the ability to solo and have instrumentation soloing the forms and playing the art forms and all. It it it, it just gave people a, um, a, a nice canvas that whenever you want to do something, you, you have the canvas, but then you can go beyond it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you, you, you have the basic of it. You know, um, man, the, uh, the standard jazz tunes and... And just the development of it, you know, between um, uh, regular straight-ahead jazz and the stuff that um, Diz and uh, 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 and Count Basie did, the, the changing stuff that um, you got from Miles and uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie and, and you know, and the Afro-Cube. You know, it, it's just so rich. It gets so much fertilization to uh, improvisation, man, that, um, um, wow, what is there not to like? <laughs> yeah, I dig it. You know, totally. Uh, you know, creativity, it's about creativity. I agree. Totally. You know, you've been on a lot of stages. You've entertained a lot of people. But let me ask you this. Who have you seen on the jazz stage in a live performance that made a profound impact on you? Oh, wow. Great question. I remember the first time I saw um, Oscar Peterson. I saw that in Japan. I saw it in Japan with Ron, with Oscar Peterson, um, the group he had with Ray Brown, and, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's great piano players. I've played with some great piano players, man, you know, because um, even with Ron, man, I got to play with Sorola and Hannah and, you know, uh, 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 so many different um, great guys, man. Uh, uh, Mo Miller was in a group, man, and, you know, uh, man, Oscar Peterson, man. Kenny Barron is another one. It's amazing. Uh, but when I heard Oscar Peterson, wow, I was just amazed, man. And, you know, where he, uh, his touch and his sound, and where he just took the music to, man. I also, um, Stanley Turrentine. I love saxophone players. That's, like, one of my favorites. Um, there's so many saxophone players I really am amazed. I mean, but when Stanley had this live sound, man, you know, with just the way he used the microphone, incredible, man. Uh, same thing, too, when I experienced um, uh, the Weather Report group, the, the one that did Heavy Weather with Jocko and all. 
The sound that was, that was amazing. You know, certain people just make your hair stand. You know. Yeah. And, right. and uh, another thing that Ron told me that was very important is he said that the most important thing for you to do is develop your own sound. To develop yeah. your own sound. To, oh yeah, another another one too is when um, I can't leave out Peter Puente and uh, Mongo Santa Maria. Wow. The first time I heard him, he just turned, he just turned my life around, man. Wow. His his sound, man. The yeah. wow, the feeling of the feeling that he gave in his drums, man. You know, there's so many artists that turn me on, but those are some that I really remember that really kind of <laughs> you know took me out. I mean, but I've heard a lot of great musicians, man. Wow, I've been Absolutely. very fortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. This is my final question. It's going to get kind of the heart of the matter here. Everyone has a version of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but you know who you are. You know what you're doing. Tell me who you think you are. Wow, what a beautiful question, man. You know, nobody's really – you know, you're at, you're, I'm talking to you and I'm sitting in my garden because I, I do my own gardening. And I'm very, very, very good at it because I like to create – my own spiritual spaces, you know? Yeah. And to really know me, I'm a very kind of a spiritual person in my own way. Not crazy and all that, but uh, my, one of my favorite sayings is to, to thy own self be true. And at this point, stage two of my life, too, uh, my, my maturity and the way I'm seeing myself and knowing that it's the last stage of, of the ride, you know what I mean? I, I feel that I just want to be the most honest, the most pure, the most real person I want that I can be. You know, that that's to me is, is really true. Um, I'm feeling more and more the freedom of not wanting so much or wanting to just be super famous. The one thing I can tell, I've been doing this for long enough, I can tell by your answer in the very beginning about that restive point in the morning, which I enjoy very much so. I think that tells a lot about who you are and, how you create where you're at. So I dig it. It's, it's good. It's been refreshing to talk with you. Thank you for taking some time out for me. I really appreciate not only the music that you put out there, but the fact that you've given the story to me on jazz. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for, you know, for, you know, finding me and letting me do it. I really enjoyed it. You asked some incredible questions. I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Steve for his time, his music, and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.